Welcome, friends, to the Her Story Speaks podcast. I'm your host, Andrea Miller. My guest today is Shadia Harishi. Shadia's story is one filled with triumphs and tragedies. Abortion, date rape, substance abuse, marital abuse, and divorce left Shadia with many wounds and scars. Yet, as she says, over time, God would gently use each one to open her eyes to the only one who never left her side. In today's episode, Shadia shares her amazing true story of her miraculous encounter with the child she lost to abortion that serves as the inspiration behind her book, Worthy of Love, A Journey of Hope and Healing After Abortion, a Bible study she wrote for post-abortion healing. Whether you've lost a child to abortion, know someone who has, or simply seek to better understand the heartbreak of abortion, Shadia's story will touch your heart and serve as a beautiful reminder that our journeys of healing often lead to places we never expected. Shadia, welcome to the Her Story Speaks podcast. I am just um, thrilled that you're able to join me today and share your story. Thank you for having me. This is a, such a wonderful opportunity. Thank you for the invitation. You are so welcome. And I came across your story. Um, I remember you when I emailed you, you're saying, you asked, well, how did you even find me? Well, I was looking, <laughs> I was looking for resources just for women who have, um, who have gone through an abortion. And since we're doing a series on women who, whose lives were affected by abortions, yours was one that came up for women for healing. And Looking through that, I saw that you had also um, had your own experience with an abortion who God and just a healing journey that led you to writing that study. So that's what we're going to talk about today. Wonderful. So if you want to just start off, just introduce yourself um, just briefly, and then we'll get into your story. Okay, sure. Well, uh, my name is uh, Shadia Harishi, and uh, I... um... Let's see. I was uh, born in New York, born and raised in New York, and both my parents actually immigrated for other, from other countries, and so I'm first-generation American, and uh, grew up in New York and uh, eventually moved out to California uh, when I was 30 years old, and um, uh, God brought me uh, on a journey here to introduce me to himself. I didn't grow up in the church or knowing anything about God. And uh, after he did that, he kind of uh, took some time to work through some healing. And one of the things that he uh, brought up was uh, an abortion that I had as a teenager. And God used that to truly help me to know him in a deeper way. And then from there, actually uh, launched a ministry um, that uh, I just I could have never imagined. Right. His plan is always so much greater than ours. And um, the fact that he uses our hurts, some of our biggest hurts um, for his glory is something that your story definitely shows. Mm. So let's go ahead and start out um, at the beginning of your story. And you have a couple of books. Nameless No More is just your story, your book, and then Worthy of Love is your Bible study, correct? Right. Uh, for post-abortion healing, that's a Bible study, Worthy of Love, uh, A Journey of Hope and Healing After Abortion. Uh, based on my personal story and uh, then walking through what God's word says, um, God, uh, you know, brought me through seminary. And actually, it was the same year I graduated that uh, I published that Bible study, uh, which God has used to to minister to many women. Yeah. So let's go ahead and start off with your story when you were 15 that you share in the book, if you don't mind just diving into that and just sharing um, where you are at in your life when you were 15. Wow. Yeah. Well, 
So my my parents divorced uh, when I was 12 years old. And uh, I think like many sad statistics, uh, young girls typically start looking for love in all the wrong faces, I, I sometimes mm-hmm. say. And um, I became uh, uh, sexually active at, at 14. And um, my, my mom, you know, we didn't grow up in the church. We weren't Christians. And my mom did her best to protect me as, as in, in the way she understood was best. And so I had protection from Planned Parenthood, but um, still six months later, um, when I was 15, I got pregnant. And yeah. And you found that out because like you, you, your book is just, um, it's very powerful because you are so honest with the details of Mm. your abortion and the recovery. And like you share in the book, um, you have that day at school where you're nauseous throwing up and you go home and tell your mom. And what does your mom do when you tell her? You know, it's, I'm not sure exactly what she was thinking at the time, but in my mind, I was pretty ignorant. I'm thinking I've got the flu, I've got, you know, a stomach bug. And so my mom brought me, and at this time, we, I actually still had a pediatrician. Um, so she brought me to our family doctor. And, you know, I'm kind of guessing that they sort of had a side conversation because right. uh, then she brought me to Planned Parenthood. And was there any conversation with you about if that's what you wanted to do? Or was that just a given that that's what you were going to do? It was like a given. I never, no one, I never, you know, felt like I was actually asked. But I I also can't say that, you know, it was forced on me either. Um, it, I think it was sort of this silent agreement between myself, my mother, and Planned Parenthood that this was the only choice we had. Um, yeah. Okay. So, and I, that's why I just hearing, I think stories about it, just, I feel like help us be so judgment, less judgmental as Christians, because I think so many pro-life Christians with the Lord sort of my heart, stirred in my heart is we can just be so harsh and judgmental about who does this and why would, you know, baby killers, but it's like, they're, there are circumstances that we have no idea about and, um, no one wants to find themselves in that situation. And you are just a child. So, so true. And if I could just, just for a moment, digress for a minute. What, yes. you know, I served, served for years um, at our local um, pro-life pregnancy center on the board of directors. Uh, actually, I just resigned a year ago only because my writing and speaking has taken, kind of taken over. Um, but I served there for six years and I learned a lot um, about the 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 what do you call the 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 demographics I guess of women who come in for for abortions and you know my story is one of many that are similar but that but I also just wanted to share for those who are listening that um, I think it's I think the statistics is something like 70 to 80 percent of women who come in uh, identify themselves as Christians. Mm. So, the, so we, we want to make be careful um, because they also struggle with the fear of judgment of their own uh, in their church and their families. And so, you know, anyone can find themselves in, in sin. We all sin and God is gracious to forgive. But um, yeah, I'm so I'm glad that you brought that up. And I think that that point cannot be brought up too many times because mm-hmm. I think in the church we think, oh, it's the outsiders or right. people that aren't saved, but we are so isolating and just shaming people within the church that the statistics mm-hmm. are the 
the same, the one in four, the estimate. Yeah. Um, And since even doing this series, I've had women reach out to me in the church. Like, I'm so glad Mm -hmm. that you're bringing this up because it's been such a hidden secret that they've just been so ashamed of. Um, So I'm so Yeah. You know, one of the things that I speak on sometimes when I'm invited to share my story is the, the silence in the churches actually fosters the shame and isolation for those who've already been wounded by abortion and for those who are struggling with the crisis pregnancy because if they don't feel that they have the freedom to to speak and reach out to their own church family for help where are they going to go they're going to go to Planned Parenthood and other abortion providers because they're the only ones reaching out to them so we have to be so careful right and that's your work, just since um, we've connected, I've just seen how passionate you are about that. Like you, you do a Bible study for pregnant, single pregnant girl women. I mean, you just, the church's job is to reach out and love, so these people love, because um, it could just as easily be our daughter or sister yeah. that has experienced it. So let's go back to your 15. This is what your mom lines up for you to get that abortion. Um, and you share in your book, like I said, you're really honest and you just share about like, you just thought you were going to go in and out and have this taken care of and move on with your life. Right. But that wasn't the case. No, that's, that's kind of the lie they feed you. Um, otherwise no one would pay them. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, you know, you, you think you're, you're paying for, uh, or you're promised, um, relief. And there, there is a temporary brief relief for some in the sense of this crisis is over, but what it's replaced with is infinitely, infinitely more grave. And um, yeah, when when I was 15, I, I had no idea. Um, they never talked to me about, they never did an ultrasound, they never offered an ultrasound, they never said this was a child or that she was alive, or they never told me anything about the development of the child or they just said it's a glob of tissues and i was actually um just about 12 weeks pregnant so i was already entering in the second Mm. trimester um Mm. and they they lied to me yeah and you share not only the emotional pain physical pain too the procedure Mm -hmm. to have just immense physical pain and to leave with just the horrible cramping and nausea and all of that um it was traumatizing. Um, it really, it really is traumatizing. Um, it's traumatizing on so many levels. You, you have the, you have the physical clearly. I mean, you're, you're, you can't be in a more vulnerable position. I hate to put it so visually, but, right. and, and, and then you have, you know, this, you know, I remember the doctor was basically just kind of doing his job. Didn't really want I, Oh, I, I, some, you know, I put it all in the words, and, and then, then sometimes I, I share my story, story, and it's just I become speechless just thinking back on um, the emotions of it. You know, I remember specifically feeling extremely alone and fearful, mm. and uh, and there was two nurses I remember on either side of me, basically kind of where my shoulders are. You know, so they're one on each side of me, and then the doctor is where he needs to be. And um, one of them, one of the nurses, it was like a reflex. It wasn't, I didn't feel any way um, that there was a compassion action. It was mm-hmm. more like, this is my task to grab my hand. Yeah, just going through and the I, motions of their job. Yes, mm-hmm. that was your job. That's what it felt like to me. Um, and, and I, but I clung to it because it's all I had. I didn't, yeah, I did, I, I, I clung to that because I felt like I need I need someone I need someone 
Um, but I really didn't have um, anyone in that room um, that was really on my side that truly understood what they were doing um, to me. And you share in your book, if you don't mind me reading, it says that um, no one told you that you'd have regrets. Regrets that I didn't ask for more time. Regret that no one talked to me about adoption. Regret that I would later discover this would be the only child ever conceived in me. Regret that would propel a friendly, optimistic, straight-A student into withdrawal, suicidal thoughts, and a drug and alcohol abuse in later year, in less than a year. And that's so powerful because I think that that is the lie, like you just said, that we just think that you'll go on with your life and it will be like nothing happened. But clearly that's not what happened with you. And that's the same story that so many women have. Um, yes. Even the, the, the threat of suicide, like oh, that's yes. been surprising to me how many women who shared their story have said that, that they had it, never before had, had suicidal thoughts, but they did after that. Yes. There, there's a direct correlation, um, you know, to, to the increase of, of, of suicidal thoughts for those who've had an abortion. I think it's six times more likely wow. for, for a woman who's had an abortion to um, have thoughts of suicide at some point afterwards, near close afterwards. I'm not sure what the number is, but I would guess within a year. And, um, you know, I, I like I said, I, I, did, I because I didn't believe in God, my, my struggles were confusing to me because there was something in me saying this was all wrong but I didn't understand but I didn't know what it was because right. I really did believe when they said this wasn't a child it's just a blob of tissue I, I honestly believed it and so I didn't understand and I think that's you know so so even if I didn't understand there there's something spiritual I believe that happens to a woman when 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 she does this um, and 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 the enemy of our soul capitalizes on that and and starts to speak into our ears that you're you're never going to be um, you know a mother or you're you're a you're a wicked person and yes the, the, it is a grave sin and and it is and it, it is murder but you see the enemy wants to condemn where God wants to forgive. Yeah, and that's that is exactly what kept going through my mind this morning of what a tool of the enemy. Not only to yes. the child is killed, but then the mother has these thoughts of taking her own life. I mean, the enemy just seeks to kill and he he is he's after as much real estate as he can get. And yeah. you know, an abortion, you know, it targets uh, you know, one of these things that I that I share sometimes when I talk is that he, you know, he targets the child number one because this is, you know, he's got a bloodlust against um, humanity because they're created in the image of God. And because the enemy hates God, he hates every soul, every human being he, he hates. And so taking life is his greatest thrill. But along with that, you know, he, 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 he wounds the woman. Um, and abortion wounds men too. You know, sometimes we leave them out of the equation and we need to be very careful. Abortion is not a women's issue. It's a society issue. It's a family issue because men, um, I, I knew of a man who came up one time after I shared my story and he told me that he had pressured his girlfriend into getting an abortion, you know, when they were in college. Mm -hmm. And so this was roughly 20 years later. And he said to me that for all those 20 years until God brought him through a healing program for men, for all those 20 years, he said he had a recurring nightmare. I mean, like over and over and over oh, again wow. of hearing a child crying. Hmm. And in his dream, he was urgent to find this child that was literally buried. I mean, it was just this, this heartbreaking story. And we, and we forget that 
um, the enemy's after it all. He, he'll yeah. take down as many as he can. You know, with one abortion, he can destroy as many people um, as we let as 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 he can, and, and until we find it, the, the grace of God and the healing of God and the forgiveness of God. So you let that secret go. You for twenty five years. Is that right? That's what you said. Yeah. So you yeah. basically have that abortion, you go and get on the school bus the next day you share and did not tell your best friend, did not tell anybody. Yes, I, I, um, the abortion was on a a Saturday. And so um, I don't remember much about Sunday, but Monday morning was, you know, regular, I mean, I'm in high school and Mm -hmm. where I live, we lived kind of in the country uh, and upstate New York at this point. um, And so we had, we took actually like school buses and I remember the dread of getting on that school bus. I remember that morning because mm-hmm. I always sat with my one friend who was at the stop before mine. So in other words, she'd be in the seat and I'd always go sit next to her. And I can't describe this the sad relief that I felt when I got on the bus and saw that she wasn't there mm-hmm. because I didn't want to face her. Mm-hmm. And um, and I never told her. I never told a soul. Wow. Uh, until many, many, many years later. So just talk a little bit about then those years of you keeping that, that in that huge secret and just kind of how that started to unravel your life as far as Mm -hmm. just the isolation, the guilt, all of that through those years. You know, I, I think that when you do something like that and, and whether or not you recognize it, there's, it does something, it changes, it changes your soul. It changes Mm -hmm your psyche, your mind. And, um, you, 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 you know, you've just destroyed a life, whether you, you've yet to recognize it or not, but your spirit knows it somehow, you know, and, and therefore life has now been, the, the value of life has been demeaned in your mind. And so the first person you begin to kind of attack with that, new truth, which is a false truth, is yourself. In mm. other words, life is not valuable, so my life is not valuable. And very, very, very often, you, we women will, as myself, will start stepping into very destructive lifestyle patterns because we don't realize that we are uh, perpetuating that, that, that false truth in our minds that life is not valuable. And, and, you, and you also feel unworthy, um, you know, because of what you've done. Again, what I didn't recognize exactly what I did. I didn't understand where the suicidal thoughts were coming from. I didn't understand why I started hanging out with kind of the wrong crowd and doing, you know, alcohol and began doing drugs a few years later and just, you know, all these self-destructive choices, promiscuity as well. You know, before I had one boyfriend and then it turned into, you know, all kinds of um, um, poor choices. Um, because I had, I did not value my own life and was probably trying to punish myself without understanding what I was doing. Yeah. And you say in the book, which is such a visual of that, you said that the abortion just devoured your own childhood, that it just, all of that, it just, it just totally took away. Um, and just, you felt like you didn't even deserve the good memories or the good times and, um, what a surprise that was and it it wasn't until you know years later that i saw what how the enemy did that so 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 the enemy takes you know uh you know destroys this life and 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 i'm part of that i made that you know i allowed that to happen but um 
and then my sense of self-worth, right? And then um, years later, I began to, every time I would have a memory of a good, a good childhood memory, something loving perhaps, usually with my mom, something loving that my mom had done. Um, after the abortion, I had, I had to force my mind to push those memories away because mm. they came with this new condemnation of, well, you're never going to be a good mother. You aborted your child. You know, what kind of person are you? And so the enemy even destroyed my own childhood memories, the, the, the joy of those memories, because I couldn't face them anymore. Mm. And so it's a, it's a, it's, we have no idea how much is stolen uh, from us, you know. And with that, you even, you talk about how you kind of, you had convinced yourself that you wouldn't be a good mom. You didn't want kids anyway, and you were unable to conceive, correct? When you right, did try yes. Yeah. Yeah. Years later, uh, I eventually uh, met, met someone and we, we um, got married and actually it was kind of another story. I share a little bit about, about another in another book, but um, it was a dysfunctional relationship. But, but besides all that, um, I wanted to have a child. And, and quite honestly, I had the wrong reasons. I thought that having a child was going to fix our marriage. Right. Um, and you know, he was, he was alcoholic. I was codependent. It was kind of one of those toxic, um, tragic mixes, but, but anyway, we did try to conceive and, uh, when it wasn't happening and he had a, a, a child from the first marriage. So, um, uh, we ended up, you know, going to the doctor and, and they did some tests and they saw that, that I there was some damage, um, to one of my my tubes one of the fallopian tubes and i asked the doctor because at that point i it, the, suddenly the rush in my memory of the abortion and i asked him i said um i had an abortion when i was 15 could that have caused the damage and he's and he said it's possible i mean mm. you know there he couldn't be but all i can tell you is i clearly was able to have get pregnant before right um so and so that just added to more self-condemnation, like I, well, I wasn't worthy. I mean, it just proved right. the lies in my mind. You know? Just added on to that. Yes. So you talk about also that somebody did invite you to um, a post-abortion recovery retreat. Yes. So with that, you eventually got to the point, obviously, that you had to tell somebody. So tell us about telling somebody where you, how you got to that point, and then we'll talk a little bit about that retreat um, and the things that happened during that. You know, it's interesting. I So at one point, um, my church invited me to share my testimony, but the testimony was not centered around the abortion at, at all, actually. Okay. It was just, you, hey, will you come share your testimony kind of thing? And the abortion was simply one line in my two-page testimony. You know, hmm. In other words, a list of all these myriad of things in, in my life okay. and, and heartbreaks and different things and so on. But after I shared my testimony, someone came up to me and had shared that she had also had an abortion and that she had gone through a, a healing program. And so uh, some time goes by and then God kind of brought that back around again through another series of events. And I decided it was time to, to sign up for something like that. And so I went back to that woman who had first talked to me after I shared my testimony and privately said to her, I said, you know, I signed up for that program. And is there anything you can tell me 
um, you know, ahead of time. I mean, I'm nervous, but I'm committed to go. But, you know, can you can you give me, you know, I was like, can you give me any hint? Right. You know, anything. And I'll never forget what she said. She 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 looked at me with such sincere um, love in her eyes. And she said to me very soberly, she said, you're going to be asked to give your child a name. Hmm. Wow. I I had never heard of anything like that before. Um, and so I, I, I remember going home and, um, you know, having to try to kind of digest that over, um, uh, a little while. I don't remember, I think it was a few days or so, so forth. Or, yeah, that's and, heavy. I mean, you were trying to suppress yeah. this and let alone acknowledge that that clump of cells, quote unquote, was a little person. So yes, for somebody to tell you, you're going to have to name it, that, that had to be really, really heavy for you. It was, it was, it was, it was shocking. Um, it was, it was, it was such an eye opener, but God is so gracious because this whole, that series of events was in God's perfect timing because he knew that 10 years earlier when I first became a Christian, um, and then dealing with divorce and, and healing from that and, and all of the dysfunctions that, that I had in my own life. God knew I wasn't ready to face this. And mm. so in his grace and kindness, he waited 10 years. So I'm 40 years old at this point. Okay. And that's when God brought this. And so it was extremely shocking, but, but God also knew it was time. Mm. I, I couldn't have handled it 10 years earlier, but God knew it was time. And so I remember going home and over, over, I don't remember if it was maybe a few weeks or so before I, um, decided like, okay, you know, cause I'm one of those people, you know, if nothing else, when I make a commitment, I keep this, you know, and so I'm like, nothing's going to just, I'm, I signed up. So I have to go. I and mean, that's just how my brain kind of works. Like there's no backing out now. Right. And so I thought, okay, well, I'm going to have to name this child. And then just, just saying those words in my mind, like this was a child. Mm. Was just, like what a, what a paradigm shift, you know? Right. And so, um, so I remember getting on my computer and I thought, well, you know, I'm, I'm kind of one of those like, well, okay, so what do I do next kind of thing, you know? And so I'm like, I, well, I want to look at names. I mean, if, if I have to come up with a name, I'm still wrestling with the whole thing, but I, but I decided I need to, you know, let's look at names. And so I didn't know where else to, to begin. So I literally just looked up, you know, baby name website. So I went on some website for baby names. And again, not knowing where to begin, I just began at the beginning of the alphabet. And the one thing at this point that God was revealing to me at right then was like I need to is it a girl or a boy? I mean how do you look at names if you don't know if it's a girl or a boy? Mm. And I sensed that it was a girl. It that that that, that sense um, became very, very clear in that moment. So I just so I'm looking at names and I'm going through the A's because again didn't know where else to begin. And there's this name that pierced my heart when I saw it. The name was Anamika. And I was reading the the meanings of the names because that's what I was kind of drawn to. Like I wanted to know what the names meant because I thought I want to pick a name that has purpose and meaning and, and, and significance. And this name, Anamika, the meaning of it was nameless. Mm. It, it just it just struck me. I mean, I, I, all I could think of was, I, I mean, the words almost came out of my brain before my heart caught up with them. Because because my brain was saying, well, who on earth would name their child nameless? Powerful. I wow. I, I did. That's that's what I did. I, I, I refused to acknowledge 
Mm. And so that was kind of one of the marked uh, turning points in my in my journey where where because God it brought me to my knees. I mean, wow. it brought me to my knees. Um, and and God spoke though. But see, here's this thing. Here's the beauty of it. God spoke in mm. that moment and said, "You need to give her a new name. It's time." I mean, there was there was no condemnation, there was no accusations, there was just I'm here, I'm with you, you're forgiven, and it's time to heal. Wow! And, and is that you're going to do is give her a new name? And is that one of the first times where you felt like no shame, no condemnation, just love was, from the it Lord? Was, yeah, it was. It was so. You know, when I became a Christian, I understood intellectually, and I, and I believed in my heart as best as I was able that God forgave everything. I mean, I didn't feel like he forgives everything but the abortion. I believed he forgave it, but it wasn't until that moment where I really realized the the depth of what that sin was that he had forgiven. What it really, yeah. that there was a child, a person who has an identity and had a right to, to live her life that I stole from her. Yeah. Um, So was it also that is so powerful? And then you share about a couple more incidences that are equally powerful about a dream that you had. Was that correlate? Was that about the same time as this? The dream with like the mask and oh my goodness, that dream. Um, Yes. Um, uh, Let's see. I think the dream came a little bit later, but okay. It 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 was. So in the dream, so I, so I, so I, you know, I just had a normal, a a dream while I was sleeping, you know, and, and so, and in this dream, um, uh, there were, um, uh, it was, it was like a childhood, like a, excuse me, a a children's, um, playroom, like a, you know, like a, I don't know, playroom, like Mm -hmm. a living room with toys and, you know, that kind of thing. And it was filled with all of these kids and I'm more like observing, you know, I'm just seeing this you know, playroom and all these kids playing. And in this room, uh, or, or outside of the room, I guess, but but it projected into this room is this voice that just, so there's no presence, but there's, but there's this voice, a loving fatherly kind of voice, which of course, you know, looking back, I would say it was God, absolutely. And he basically says to these kids, you know, it's time to play a game. I want everybody to find somebody and give them a hug. And, you know, and that was the game. So all these little kids are running around and looking for somebody to hug and then i see in the center of this room is this young girl maybe five or six you know years old and her back is facing me and and i'm watching her because she's not behaving like the other kids and she you know at some point basically just just kind of collapses to the floor and and you know hugs her knees and she's rocking back and forth and clearly under great distress and then there's this little boy in the dream that i never quite figured out how where he fit in but you know he kept trying like he had picked her it's like I want to hug her you know but but she she kind of just wouldn't acknowledge him so at some point all the other kids disappear and the room gets darker and darker and there's just this girl with this this kind of silent cry like like I could like I could sense the anguish but I couldn't hear anything Mm -hmm. and so now I enter the room I enter the room and I come up to this to this young girl with, you know, my, my heart's like drawn to her and I still can't see her face because she's, she's, you know, away from me. And then she turns around and, in, and 
her face was completely there was nothing there except for these these cords and like ropes and knots mm -hmm. all covering her her face and and it, it was just it was just heartbreaking and so i start like trying to loosen these because you could just you could just feel the, the 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 cry that is trying to come out but it's but it's held back you know by this by this mat and this wall of, of cords and, and and ropes and everything and so it's at that moment that i wake up hmm. from this dream but in my mind as i'm awake i'm still living it out in other words in my mind i'm letting it it's keep it's still going on right you know but now i'm awake and so i'm imagining myself trying to take these knots off and every one of them had names written on them and it was like you know um you know a, a murderer you know unfit mother you know un un you know just 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 all these terrible um you know lies and and hurts and so forth and and just um I start opening them and then underneath is like this biggest, biggest mat of a knot underneath. And on the, the name on that one was unlovable. Hmm. And as I opened these knots up, every it opened into sort of this, this chasm, um, you know, so this, the girl was no longer there. It was actually more like a, like a prison, I would say. But I could look inside. I remember looking inside into the darkness, and there was this, and a light began to shine. And I saw a little girl playing, singing, perfectly happy. And she looks up and says, "Hi, mommy." Hmm. Wow. And I, I, I mean, wow. You yeah. Know? Um. I, 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 and 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 so I share in the book that you know. The, the girl with the knots was not my child. I thought, like, you know, that must be her in the dream, you know, but, but it wasn't. It was me. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I was, you know, and so I had this memory of my child locked in this prison, and, and God just began unraveling all the lies and layers and walls that had held her prisoner. Um, oh, and yeah, so... That was, that was the dream. Um, and, and God, that is what I, I love about your story and the details you share, because God was just so full of mercy to you in your healing. And he yes. just really revealed himself so many times yes. and it was a long journey, but he was there and he did it when you were ready. And, mm -hmm. um, it's very, it's just so powerful. Yeah. So you have that dream as part of your healing also. Then you talk about at the retreat, um, which people can get your book and read because you do talk about so much of the healing that went on at that retreat. Yeah. But one of the other powerful things that you share about that retreat is the vision at the mm -hmm. end. Um, and basically you were supposed to share like a wish that you had and um, pretty much taking it to Jesus, um, yeah. what you wanted to happen. So would you mind sharing about that? to that vision that the Lord gave you? Yeah, yeah. And I, and I don't really know what else to call it. It was it was one of those, you know, kind of supernatural experiences. And, you know, what, what it was, was, you know, we were invited to, you know, surrender our burdens to God and, and, and ask Him for something. Like, that's what we were encouraged to do, is ask Him for a wish. And my wish at that point was that God would take away 
um, you know, the, the, the hardness in my heart that had built up that protected me, you know, kind of like what I was describing. I think that dream, um, you know, was kind of picturing that where, where I, I was so guarded, you know, in my life. I wouldn't let anyone in. Um, and, and I realized that it was, I was the one being imprisoned, you know? Mm. Um, and so I was asking God, you know, to take that away from me. And that's when he kind of gave me this, this vision, this picture of my daughter in heaven. Mm. And, you know, um, that was hard. Yeah. Uh, to, 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 to face her. Um, and I, and I, I remember, you know, seeing her and, but, but, but there wasn't, um, you know, just like the, the, the series of steps that happened before, like when I saw the name on the computer, again, there was no, no condemnation, there was no judgment. And, and there was just this, this joyful child really wanting to connect with me. And, mm-hmm. um, oh, you know, I, you know, I share the details in the book and, 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 um, but, but God used that to, uh, Make me help me to understand that you know in in heaven even with this my child there's no condemnation hmm. you know the, the Bible teaches us in Romans eight there is no condemnation there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus and that's what we have to cling to and that's what I God was teaching me and letting me you know why He allowed me to experience something so remarkable you know I I don't know but. Um, he did in, in his grace and maybe that's what I needed maybe you know right I, I wasn't gonna believe it any other way unless I kind of saw it for myself I don't right. know um, or he knew you were gonna share it I mean I think people need yeah, to hear yeah. that about the forgiveness mm-hmm. and um, you're a bold speaker for that that the Lord does mm-hmm. forgive and mm-hmm. the power of that vision too is that you felt like your daughter forgave you also yes. which was which is so you know I, I it was almost like God knew, and of course, of course he does, you know, but, but looking back, I would say God knew what I needed more than I knew. I didn't know that I needed her forgiveness. I didn't know that that might've been what was in the back of my mind and in my heart, but God knows every corner of the heart. We can't hide anything from him. And so he knew what I needed, even though I wouldn't have guessed that that's what I needed, but he used it to, um, bring complete healing. And that's when I finally began to start telling my story. And you did allow him to use you. You say that from that moment on, you were able to courageously love people, that your heart wasn't hidden and that you just started pouring yourself out and loving people. So is that when you tell me from that moment on, then did you just decide I'm going to write this Bible study or book or how did that, I'm guessing no. no. So tell me, <laughs> tell me how you got from there to there, because yeah. that is a big leap from like, it's, okay, maybe I'll share my story to I'm going to put it out there in a book. Right. You know, I mean, you know, written words, you know, you, you can't take them back, you know, once mm-hmm. they're out there. Um, you know, it, it, God actually spoke to me, um, sometime later and said, um, I, I want you to write your story. And I'm like, huh? <laughs> uh, I mean, I would always been a bookworm my whole life. I mean, I'm a complete bookworm. I mean, I love to love to read and I've, I've been told I write well, but I never actually, I didn't, I wasn't one of those kids. Like I'm going to grow up and be an author. I right. never crossed my mind. Um, teaching maybe I do like teaching and, and that kind of thing, but I never imagined. And so 
when God told me to write my story, I'm like, you mean in a book? <laughs> and he's like, yeah, I want you to write your story. And I'll, and I'll tell you just, just quick on the side how that went down because um, sometimes he has to tell us the same thing several times before we actually get it. And so mm -hmm. he tells me to write my story. And because I tackle most things, I'm, I'm a pretty analytical kind of person. Um, I do things in order and all this kind of stuff. So I'm like, okay, um, you know, and what's the purpose of writing this book? Like, what's the goal, you know? Right. And so I thought, okay, I am going to, um, you know, use this opportunity to, you know, explain the development of a child and, and tell the story of what this child's life was like in the womb. I mean, that was my idea. Like, I'm just okay. going to, you know, kind of teach on that. So I read all these <laughs> books. I did all this work. I wrote chapters and chapters. And God taps me on the shoulder and said, I didn't ask you to do that. Oh, I'm laughing because aren't we so yeah. like that? We're like, oh, oh sure, God, I'll do I it mean, my way. Yeah. yeah, I've got it. I know you. I got it. I got this. You know. <laughs> and so I'm like, oh wow, okay. So then, I, you know, I, you know, I think about it and I try to understand, you know, um, what he's after. And I'm like, okay, I know. <laughs> you already know where this is going. <laughs> I know. Um, I decided. I have a. I have one of my. I have. Um, my, before I went to seminary, um, I also I had a master's in criminal justice. I always liked law and that kind of thing, and I, I wanted to be a judge when I was growing up. Actually, mm -hmm. okay. And um, so I thought, I know what I'm going to do. I am going to write a legal defense for life. You know, I mean, not like <laughs> an academic paper. No, I know, That's right? The approach I'm going to take. Right. You know, and so again, I start doing my research. I'm writing. I'm sure. You know, I mean, a, I mean, a months go by. You know, I'm working on this. And God taps me on the shoulder again and gently and lovingly says, I didn't ask you to do that. Mm -hmm. And so now he's now he's finally got my attention. Right. And I remember in complete exasperation, I'm like, God, what do you want? Mm -hmm. And he said, I want your heart. I want you to tell them your story. Mm -hmm. Tell them what happened and tell them what you saw and who I am and what I've done. Wow. And that's when I finally wrote the book. Wow. Oh, it was hard. <laughs> and so you say, so you wrote Nameless No More first, is that correct? And then you base the Bible study with where your story is all incorporated into the Bible study. Yes. Okay. Nameless No More is, a, is a, a small, you know, quick read. You can read the book in an hour. It's basically my, my story. The yes. story that I just shared with you, I share in detail. And, and actually, if people go to my website, you can get it for free when you sign up for my newsletter. You'll get it as an ebook. You can get it for free. Okay, and um, we'll put the we'll write that um, on the show notes that people can get that. So that's that's oh, yeah, wonderful. Great. So and then the Bible study you incorporate that worthy of love. So how many years ago did you write your Bible study? Uh, the Bible study came out in 2014, which is actually okay. the same year that um, I graduated seminary. Wow, very um, cool. And so I took the story and, you know, word for word, it's in the Bible study. So people that get my Bible study can still will read my story. But I use each chapter as a, as a, as a lesson. And, and, you know, what does God say? What are, what are the lies that we believe? And what does God's word say? What are, what are the, you know, the struggles that we face? And what does God say? And, and just and this springboard to the Bible study called Worthy of Love. Okay. And this study is for anyone that has um, had an abortion and they want hope and healing. And is it a study that women can do on their own? Or is it recommended for a group? 
or either it's it's been it's been done either way okay um so you know there's pregnancy centers that use it we actually have a group starting at my church uh in a couple of weeks um and um so you can do it as a group study there's also if for those of you who might want to lead groups i have a leader's guide that's available okay um but individuals do it and there's also on my website there's a link to uh, a ministry that i partner with that does online groups so she does like as a facilitator she does live facebook videos each week with the women and so you can do it from your own home and the private and safety and comfort of your home and but you can still have a group of women that you can kind of go through your journeys with which so. i love i saw that you posted that and i shared and we'll reshare that because i think even though we're trying to get past the shame women still feel that shame so being able to yeah, do one in the comfort of their home and not yeah. they might not be ready for that step to go to a group right. yet so yeah. um i think it's the biggest thing is just to start working on that healing because and, and your, not on, go, go yeah. ahead. No, no. I was going to say that, um, absolutely. There, so there's different ways you can do it. Um, women have done it alone or in groups or online. And, um, but the other people that have, that have read the study and have, and have reached out to me to express how much they appreciate it are men. Um, oh, not because they, you know, obviously had an abortion, but for example, I've had pastors, uh, read it and, and just tell me that they were so grateful because it opened their eyes to what, the women suffer. And so that when they do, you know, preach on this, they can be more sensitive. I mean, the life of the child is obviously the most tragic thing of abortion. I mean, there, no, no, you know, hands down. Um, but there's still this aftermath of, of wounds among women and men um, that, that, that pastors and leaders can be sensitive to if they, if they would take the time and just read someone's story. So, um, so, it's been, so God has used it that way as well. Okay. Um, so talk just a little bit more. We're mentioning, we're talking about the church and resources for healing. Um, we talked a little bit about it at the beginning of the show, but just the number of Christians that have had abortions and how as just, you know, other well-meaning pro-life Christians just throwing out Facebook posts about how abortion is murder, that doesn't do anything. So talk a little bit about what we as pro-life Christians can do? Because I don't think it's enough just to be pro-life. Like if we really care, what, what can we do? What are some steps just to, to act uh, on that? Yeah, such a, such an excellent, excellent question. I so appreciate that you're thinking, you know, that, that, that way that God's putting that on your heart. I think one of the most important things is to remember um, all who are wounded in an in abortion. So you have the child that's lost. You have the woman who's been wounded. You have the man that either has contributed to the decision or there are men who wish they could have saved their child, but, but the laws have stripped them of any rights. Mm. Uh, and so they grieve the loss as well. And so you have, you know, many, many facets. It's not that simple. And so when we do preach the truth um, that, that abortion takes the life of a child that's infinitely value in God's, valuable in God's eyes, there are... Uh, we need to simultaneously and sensitively acknowledge um, those who have already made the decision and, and can't undo it. It, it mm -hmm. cannot be undone. Right. Um, and to be sensitive to their needs and to, and, to be, and to remember that Christ died for all. All sin is for, forgivable in yes. Christ. You know, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ. And when we fail to address that women have been and men have been wounded by making that abortion decision, just like any other sin. I'm not saying one's greater or, I'm, you know, abortion is a, is a, is a tremendous sin in, in, the, in the gravity of its consequence. Um, 
but but we are all sinners, and so we want to be sensitive um, to those who who've made that decision. And because otherwise, if we stay silent and we only shout condemnation, um, we 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 will we will they will pull further away from the church. Um, where the healing can be found. Um, right. Churches, you know, need to offer post-abortion recovery. We have addiction recovery. We have pornography recovery. We have divorce recovery. We have grief recovery. Where's the abortion recovery in our church? Right, right. And what a tool, when, when you're saying this, I'm thinking, what another tool of the enemy that he's using, can use Christians who are throwing out well-meaning, um, you know, harsh right. criticism of it, but turning people away from the church and doing so. So true. So true. That you know, the deepest wounds are those from those from the ones we love and those who are closest to us. And our church family can sometimes sadly be uh, among those that are actually causing more harm than good, depending on how they are approaching uh, the issue of sanctity of life. We need to address it with love and grace and truth. You know, Jesus. You know, teaches the Bible teaches that we preach the truth in love, in love, in love. And if we leave the love out. We're nothing but, you know, you know, Paul writes that we're nothing but a clanging gong and, a, you know, we're just making noise. Yes. Um, we're not drawing anyone to Christ because Christ came with forgiveness and love, but he spoke truth. He never held back. We have to speak truth. And this one of the, if anybody listens to me or reads my books, they'll, they'll, they'll know right. that I'm all about speaking truth. We don't water it down. We don't pretend it's not real. Um, you know, God is holy, um, but we have to speak it in love. Yes. Always. Yes, absolutely. And that's what the Lord has stirred on my heart too. I mean, after the whole, the legislation in New York, mm. um, right after that, and you see all the harsh posts, which it is awful. But yeah. again, if we don't have love, we're nothing, like you said, but the clanging symbol or gong. Yes. And I think yes. as believers, we've got to remember that. And you know, the other thing is we, we want to remember the other thing as believers is as, as wicked as the world is, we should not be caught by surprise. We, we yeah. should not be, I mean, we, you know, shocking only in the sense of it should, it should, uh, it should, you know, uh, uh, grieve our sensibilities, whether Christian or non-Christian, quite honestly. Um, but we should not be surprised. The Bible tells us this. And, um, you know, it's going to get more dark. It's going to get more evil. I mean, that's what Scripture teaches. So yes. we should not be surprised. And we shouldn't be caught off guard. Right. But the thing is, is that God can use even the most wicked events for something good. Everything. Absolutely. The Absolutely. entire Bible is filled with stories of God turning around something evil and making it for good. Absolutely. I mean, and, and, and so when we look at these laws as, as horror, I mean, I'm, I myself is equally am, am horrified. Like, how did we get here? And then I'm like, well, I know how. how. I mean, that's almost a rhetorical question. Like, we know how we got mm -hmm. here. We've been, re mm -hmm. we've been rejecting the truth from the beginning, you know, from the garden. That's how we got here. Um, but God, I believe, can use this to open doors that we that wouldn't have been opened otherwise. I, I believe that God is using this to wake up not only you know unbelievers, but 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 believers in His church to the reality of abortion, to the horror of abortion, to the wounds that women and men who participated in the decisions and family members. You know, I mean, eighty-five percent of women who have an abortion. Actually, I think it's around ninety percent say that someone pressured them. Yes. A boyfriend, a husband, a mother, a father. You know, some some have even said they're pastors. Yeah, that's what Melissa uh, Odin shared. The same thing that the pressure, yes. like that they are pressured into they it. Pressured. Yeah, no one does this on their own. Like, oh, that's easy. I can go take it. No, I mean it's a horrifying thing. And so God is going to use these these 
horrific laws, I believe, um, to wake up our church. And, and, and I pray, I pray, uh, stir the hearts for God's people, especially his leaders and pastors to speak the truth in love and perhaps bring healing to so many in their churches who are wounded and handy. You know, when, when we have an, a sin that we've not been able to deal with for one reason or another, it holds us back from what God's called us to do. Yeah. Each, as, as individuals and as a church as a whole. So if you have one third of the people in your church, whether women or men, wounded by abortion and they've not been healed, the, the, the calling that God has on each of their lives is, is held back because they, they're not yet healed. And then as a whole, it's the same thing. The church is held back. So we have got to address the wounds in our churches because it's holding us back from the word God, the work God wants it, calls us to do. We might be doing great things, but imagine what we could be doing if we were not walking around with crutches. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. So I'm going to have you... And quote, end your story a little differently, um, because I don't want to leave this part of your story out because I think it is just, um, it's how God works. And I wanted you to go back to the very, very, very beginning of your story where you share about your own mom and how she had an unplanned pregnancy. So would you mind just sharing that little bit of, um, the irony, God's irony there? It, 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 wow. It certainly is. So you know, my, my, my parents, neither one were raised in a, in a Christian home. They began dating uh, in the 1960s. They were in uh, New York City. My, um, my father had immigrated um, when he was in college, and my mom immigrated, in, immigrated as a child, and they met in New York City, and they got pregnant. Mom got pregnant, and she was being pressured uh, by a close family member to have an abortion. Mm-hmm. And abortion was legal back then um, in New York, and um, and it was common, tragically. And so she went and told my father that she was pregnant, and he stood up for life. He stood up for me. Mm-hmm. Um, and again, not a Christian. My father wasn't raised Christian. He was actually raised... Uh, moderate Muslim who's from Morocco. Interesting. Yeah. Um, it didn't, didn't necessarily have a strong faith. I mean, I kind of, kind of would have never even known growing up. Um, but um, but there was there was this uh, you know value of, of life, and he said, no, we, we can't do that. We're, you know, let's get married. And so you know, looking back, I'm like, wow, God, you you used my father yeah. to you know to speak up. For, for life and for truth. And my mom told me later, she, she didn't want to have an abortion. I don't, I don't think anybody runs in, you know, into abortion right. and say, sign me up, you know? I mean, she, she didn't want the abortion, but, but she was frightened and, and um, you know, her family was frightened for her and like, this is not going to be good and, and that kind of thing. And so, um, and so, so God used him to, to speak up and, and, and save my life. And I was born, you know, whatever it was, six, seven mm. months later, they got married. And now eventually they did, divorce um but you know it, it is incredibly ironic and because when i look back i never told my father when i got pregnant hmm. and wow. the one thing i wonder to this day i mean i, I don't you know uh, i don't stress on it anymore but you know i i kind of just wonder like what would have happened if i had told him hmm. like, and i'm sure he would have been you know shocked and upset and that kind of thing which is which is why i didn't tell him you know but um, and, you know, and my parents were divorced at this point. Um, and, 
But what an example of just, and I've heard this in other stories of women that have changed their mind, just one person encouraging, like, I'll be there for you, or I'll, I'll stand by you with this of just changing the whole trajectory of a life. And, um, you know, women, women are, women are looking for some, like, I like, just like I clung to that nurse's hand in the, because it literally was just, all it was, was, it was, was a body. There was no soul and heart in it. Uh, as far as what I, but I, I, you'll take anything. Um, imagine if there was one, before you reach that point that says, I'm going to walk with you. Yeah. Um, all you need is one. That's all right. You need is one. That's yeah. right. Well, I thank you so much just for sharing your story is powerful on so many levels and mm-hmm. just thank you for sharing it. And then what you're allowing the Lord to, how you're allowing him to use your life. Um, you're changing lives for sure. So yeah, share with us, <laughs> but absolutely. Before we close, uh, we will put, like I said, in the show notes where we can find you on your website, link to your Bible study. And I know that you have um, another Bible study out and another that will be releasing this fall. So do you just want to share the names of those and just really briefly about them? And we'll put the links to those as well. That'd be awesome. Yeah, actually. So these other Bible studies are for are more generic, like, you know, the worthy of love studies is, uh, is clearly for women who've had an abortion or for anyone that wants to try to understand that heart, heartache. Um, but the other Bible studies are for Christian women in, in audience in general. Actually, men have read them as well. Um, but I write with, with Christian in mind. And the first one is uh, the story of Hagar. So, the, you know, Hagar is the first crisis pregnancy in scripture. Um, mm. She's the first single mom in scripture. Um, it, it is it is actually an incredibly fascinating story. And I remember when I set out to write this Bible study, um, I actually thought, it, I actually had a different idea in mind. Hagar was going to be one chapter uh, in a study on a series of characters that had each gone through a, 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 a difficult season. But as I started writing Hagar's chapter, which was the first chapter, it got bigger and bigger. Mm-hmm. And the more I studied the scripture, um, the more I realized the depth of her story and the redemption in her story. And it became its own Bible study. So it's a full Bible study on Hagar. It's seven weeks in-depth inductive Bible study. Okay. Um, I'm, so I, and, and, um, you know, as for, you know, my, my qualifications, I, I have a master's in biblical and theological studies from Western Seminary. And so I really love diving deep into God's word. Uh, and Hagar's story is just one of those powerful stories where if you've never wondered or if you've ever wondered, you know, does God see me? Uh, have you ever had those moments or seasons in, in life where you're like, you know, is God really there? This is study for you. Or Very look good. back and see where God was in your life. And then, so that came out last October. It's okay. Hagar, Rediscovering the God Who Sees Me. Okay, and we'll, p- next- we'll put the link to that too, because you can get that on Amazon and places. So we'll put the link to that one. Wonderful. Yeah. And then I have one coming out in October this year uh, called Legion, Rediscovering the God Who Rescues Me, based on the story of the demoniac that Jesus um, rescues from, from, a, from thousands of demons. I mean, it is a wild, messy story. I'm very interested. That. <laughs> that has caught my eye. I actually was just rereading that story in the Bible, yeah. uh, this last week. Oh. And I'm like a whole study on that. I am very intrigued and we'll have to check that one out for sure. Thank you. So yeah, very yeah, good. Yes. All right. Thank you again. And I just, thank um, you. appreciate you and your time today. Well, thank you so much, and may God bless your ministry, and thank you for being a voice and, and capturing these stories to, to bring the light of the truth of God's love you know, through our stories. I, what a wonderful way uh, to minister a witness, so thank you for what you're doing. 
If you're interested in connecting with Shadia and learning more about her ministry or diving into one of her books or Bible studies, you can find the links to everything we talked about on today's episode on the show notes at HerStorySpeaks.com. Thanks for listening, and if you're enjoying the show, make sure to share it with a friend or leave a review on iTunes. It helps get the word out and encourage others to listen.